Thanks for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be talking all things Cadillac, and that's because my special guest for today's show is Don Butler, the Vice President of Marketing for the Cadillac brand. Great having you on the show, Don. John, happy to be here. Glad to be here. Also joining us today are Tim Higgins from Bloomberg News and Aaron Bragman, a senior analyst with the consulting firm IHS Automotive. Great having the two of you here, too. Thank you. Thank you. Don, uh, it was over a decade ago that Cadillac really veered off in a new direction, mm -hmm. taking on what you call the art and science look of the car, very hard-edged. Uh, the company's invested a lot of money in the different products. You're investing a lot in sales and marketing. Is it paying off? Or are you moving the needle here? You know what, John? I'm happy to say that uh, things are headed in the right direction for Cadillac, definitely. Uh, whether you measure it by, uh, you know, our sales last month, which uh, for the first time in a long time we've been able to show a month-over-month -month increase because, you know, we've been living with essentially three models for quite some time now. And so with the addition of XTS, which is newly in the marketplace right now, and then ATS coming very shortly, really excited about where things are headed with Cadillac. But we, we had seen the signs even earlier in terms of the things that we're doing for the consumer experience, the things that we're doing with our dealer showrooms, and the things that we're doing with, with the brand overall from the standpoint of marketing and advertising. So, uh, you know, we're also just continuing, as you alluded to, the journey that we've been on for over 10 years now, which began um, actually probably 1998 with the Evoque, the concept vehicle that first, you know, defined that design language of art and science. And we've stayed true to that. It's evolved, it's modernized, but nonetheless, it's still core to who we are in terms of our DNA. You know, you just said something very critical. You don't have a whole lot of models. I mean, you're, you're getting two new models that you just talked about, the XTS, mm -hmm. the big car, the ATS, the smaller one. But you've been duking it out here against the likes of Mercedes, BMW, and Audi, even Lexus, that have far much more of a lineup than you do. How far can Cadillac go to match them? Well, you know, what, what we have laid out as a strategy, and it's, it's fairly simple in terms of stating it, the, the, uh, the devil's in the details and the devil's in execution and executing with excellence. But we want to compete and we aim to be segment leaders in all the significant luxury segments. And so with, uh, with CTS, with SRX, and with Escalade, we are essentially participating in roughly 60% of the available space. And once we move into ATS, compact luxury, um, sedans, uh, XTS, large luxury, kind of a redefinition of large luxury for us. That's about 85 to 90 percent of what we think is the competitive space. And so there are gaps that we need to continue to take a look at in, the ter in terms of the portfolio. And, and what I'm really pleased to, to be able to do is once we establish those entries, just keep coming with better and better vehicles that just continue to elevate the brand. I think there's probably no better example of that than the CTS, which, you know, debuted in 01 with the first generation second generation in 07 and third generation probably coming soon but uh, you know taking a great product and making it even better that's that's what great brands do particularly great luxury brands the key though is to have that foundation in terms of the segments that we compete in and having segment leaders that establish our presence there it's good to actually hear you you say some of that because I think what we've all had a chance to drive the ATS at some point and I have to congratulate you on it I think it is an actually a phenomenal vehicle um, ATS in its segment though is it's going to be facing something of a challenge I mean it's going up against the BMW 3 series Mercedes mm -hmm. C-Class it's in the past there's always been discussion about uh, the kinds of entry-level models that Cadillac has had and I'm not going to bring up any past names because frankly I think anybody no, who brings, up, anyone who brings up those past names <laughs> yes no no C words that way that's that's not going to happen but the success of something in that particular model, half mm -hmm. of it's going to be the product, half of it's going to be the branding and the execution of that, of that model. In the past, 
GM Cadillac has not necessarily had the product right. That's not an issue this time. I think the product is absolutely spot on. What should we expect to see coming down in terms of the branding to get that vehicle in front of the people who are already intending for something like a 3 Series and, and a C-Class? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron, you, you make a very good point, um, particularly in terms of, of compact luxury. Um, you know, there's, there's two types of buyers within that segment. There are those that are moving into luxury for the first time, uh, and for them, uh, the brand is a means of just establishing, kind of uh, validating kind of who they are. And so they really rely on something that's, that is established and something that is known. And that's, you know, that's why BMW does such a great job within that segment, because it's the, it's the no questions asked purchase, right? If you buy BMW, who's going to ask you why you bought that? Uh, and so you do lay out a challenge for us from the standpoint of our brand. Um, the good news is, you know, we still have what I call this residual positive sentiment for the brand. Our challenge is one of relevance, not one of recognition or even admiration, but one of relevance. And so with ATS, one of the things that we've done is, is we've said, number one, we have to be bold, right? We can't be subtle. We can't just hope people find us and rely on the fact that we've got an outstanding product. And I absolutely agree with you. And, and you know, I'm happy to be able to represent the work of all the great women and men that have you know, put into that vehicle and the development that's gone into it. It's absolutely superb. And, and we've delivered in terms of measuring ourselves against the best in the segment and stacking up quite well. So we can't be bold about it. We can't kind of shirk and just say we hope people find us. Now, having said that, we have to have a story that's meaningful and that's relevant. And so what we've done is taking advantage of the fact that, you know, and in, in, if I can segue for just a minute, when I think about marketing, it's got to be authentic, it's got to be integrated, and everything kind of has to flow and make sense. Again, easy to say, tough to execute. We knew we would have the Olympics as a venue within the U.S. from a broadcast standpoint due to, you know, the relationship that we've got with NBC. And so what better place than to take to the world a vehicle and actually take it on the world stage. And so the concepting for what we uh, ultimately called ATS versus the world, our advertising campaign that was just recently on the Olympics, it goes back more than a year. And the world is significant in more than just it's on the Olympics and that's a great venue. These consumers, the branding and, and what it means to first get into luxury, one of the things about luxury is travel, going to exotic places, going to different places, having different experiences. And so to bring that into the equation was something that was really, really significant. Um, introducing um, protagonists so that our consumers could literally see themselves in the vehicle. Some of the things that we've been doing with our, with our new standards campaign have been focused on the machine and, and talking about the great hardware that we finally do have. And, you know, it's not smoke and mirrors anymore. When people get behind the wheel of a CTSV, guess what? It's a thrilling, terrific experience. And, you know, no apologies about that. But candidly, I think our focus got a little sterile and a little bit too much on the machine, which is great. And we all love that. But people want to see energy. They want to see emotion. They want to see themselves. And so that's the other thing that we did with this campaign bring in a couple of uh, a couple of individuals that represent the target definitely Ross Thomas who's our narrator so to speak is uh, you know he was a um, an anthropology student at USC he's an actor but he's traveled around the world he's experienced different cultures and so that came across and then Derek Hill our driver son of Phil Hill the legendary uh, American racer last one to win the the uh, Formula One championship last American to win the Formula One championship and just some interesting things that we were able to do with them in, in authentic situations, taking on the world on this, you know, this big broad platform to really elevate Cadillac and bring it to a different place. So 
taking advantage of the fact that we still do, still do have that residual admiration and respect, but bringing in a relevance, particularly to a younger generation of buyers. Well, GM CEO Dan Eckerson has designated Chevy and Cadillac as global brands for the company. What does that mm -hmm. mean for Cadillac? How does that change the playing field for you? For me, it, it makes me very, very happy because, uh, but at the same time, I have a huge amount of responsibility as well. Um, if you look at, um, you know, the, the, the automotive manufacturers that are kind of setting the pace right now, VW, for instance, uh, they've got a very strong mass market brand in terms of VW, very strong luxury brand in terms of Audi. Uh, they are probably closest in terms of, say, let's say, organizational construct as, as GM. Um, so the fact is, in order to be a successful manufacturer, you do need a strong luxury brand. The second thing is that, and this is, you know, this is my personal belief, but I think you have to be global to be luxury. I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way to be luxury without being global. Number one, you get the benefit that we talked before about of these buyers increasingly across the world, luxury buyers are more and more alike than they are different. Uh, they travel the world, they see different things around the world, so consumers from the U.S. are going to China, they're going to Paris, mm -hmm. uh, and so you need to be seen there. It's credibility. It's credibility. Yeah. The second thing is, if you're going to do what you need to do from the standpoint of when it makes sense, dedicated architectures, you need the scale to be able to justify that. And uh, you know, if, if, if you can't share everything with, with, you know, other parent architectures, if you do want specific architectures, you need the volume that goes along with that. And so that's another reason that going global uh, really makes sense for us. I'm excited by it. Um, we definitely have um, a journey, a continued journey ahead of us to truly realize our vision. But, you know, it, it energizes me in terms of where we want to take the brand and what we want to do. And we've actually laid out, laid out a vision that goes pretty far into the future, which is another kind of rewarding thing for me to be able to participate in, in terms of not just focusing on delivering for the next quarter. We absolutely have to deliver for the next quarter because without results, you know, my job's in jeopardy, everybody's job is in jeopardy, um, and our, our shareholders our stockholders don't get the benefit of the return that we've implicitly promised them. But you have to have a long-term vision. You have to have a long-term perspective so that you can see, you know, little by little, bit by bit, we're making our way there. Um, and so, again, it's an invigorating challenge for me. Um, you know, we've got a ways to go, candidly, but the fact that we've laid it out and the fact that we've identified it as a mission, I think, is something that we're rallying around internally. Don, one of the things that uh, Cadillac's done, I think, brilliantly with uh, the CTS is expand the model line. So you came out with the original CTS, mm -hmm. then you did the V, the performance version, then you mm -hmm. came out with uh, the Coupe and the performance version of that awesome car. I love it. And you did a station wagon off. did. So now I'm looking at the ATS and wondering, okay, what other models can you spin off that? So as we look at ATS, um, first it is a, uh, it's foundational in terms of the architecture, all new, um, built from the ground up to really um, have the kind of attributes that we've needed um, within the segment. So I can tell you without being specific in terms of timing and kind of what will happen, um, certainly there will be performance variants that would only make sense. Um, there'll be other body styles that would only make sense as well. And then you will see uh, that architecture become the basis of other things that we do uh, within Cadillac um, and within other places in the company too, if I can just kind of sprinkle that out there a little bit. Because it, when you've got such a good foundation, why not um, take advantage of it? And again, if I look at you know, our industrial counterparts, 
you know, VW is one company that does that really, really well. Mm -hmm. um, you have to make sure that you satisfy consumers within the segments that you target, and so no compromising. Um, but by the same token, if we can take advantage of our scale and our scope um, to be able to, you know, bring that to bear and, and you know, get the kind of profitability that we need across, um, across these different uh, kinds of options, then so much the better. Will you have that kind of scale? I mean, when we look at, at BMW, we look at Mercedes-Benz, and they're talking about 1.4 million Millions, across, yes, across the I know, world. I know. And Cadillac, when I say big smaller, three, I mean a different yeah. big three than what other people say. <laughs> but you have a smaller, you have a smaller um, scale, basically, to try and amortize a lot of these special niche vehicles or, or uh, special they're technologies. Seeing, they're seeing a lot of that growth in China. Yeah. Absolutely. What, what I would say is, is from where we are today, um, we need to grow substantially. Um, but it's, it's a long journey, right? It's not tomorrow, you know, doubling our sales. Mm -hmm. But certainly within a certain time horizon, we need to more than double our sales. Absolutely. Uh, how do you keep the discipline of not going crazy with pricing or incentives? You know, because that's one yeah, of the easiest no, I, in the book. You, oh, hey, come on down. We got four thousand dollars on the hood. And that's going to be a, that's going to be a competitive issue for ATS entering the market. It, it will. It, it's it's already a competitive yeah. issue. Um, you know what? I, you you just have to have again that long term perspective, and you have to know and have to set guidelines and just be fixated on not drifting from them. Uh, but you know what? When it starts to pay off, that's when you get the validation that no, no, I can stick with this. I mean, we. Not only did we only have three models for quite some time, we, um, in a sense, sacrificed sales from the standpoint of particularly um, rental volume from a fleet perspective. Not all fleet is, is necessarily um, cumbersome for you. Um, commercial fleet business, business fleet, business to business stuff is, is great. But um, rental volumes, if you pump that up, your residual values deteriorate and your brand essence and equity also deteriorate. So we made some hard choices. Um, beginning, you know, um, almost well when I when I got to the brand. Uh, Do you have to fight that fight though within the company because oh, yeah. GM's trying to grow yeah. market share. And, you know, and I, I would say, I would say yeah, I would say it's not necessarily a fight, John. Is it's healthy tension. You want that kind of healthy tension within the, within the organization. But being a strong advocate for the brand and being able to be persuasive and and um, you know influence the decisions that are made on that basis. Um, and it's helped by having people like Mark running, you know, North America who understands that kind of tough decision and is willing to kind of take some of the slings and arrows when Cadillac sales are down double-digit percentages month over month. But, you know, it pays off when we look at vehicles like the ATS and some of the early read that we're getting in terms of residual values just, you know, in the 60s, you know, which is just unheard of for us. And so... To be able to get that validation says, no, no, we're making, we're making the right moves to ultimately satisfy luxury consumers, and that's what we need to be and about. those residual values, those resale values are really mm -hmm. important when it comes to leasing. Mm -hmm. When you look at BMW and Mercedes sales in the U.S., a lot of it is through leasing. Mm -hmm. We've seen some amazing lease deals over the mm -hmm. last year as BMW and Mercedes duke it out to be the top-selling luxury brand in the U.S. Are you going to get sucked into lease deals on the ATS as you compete what, against the three series? Tim, what I'll say is, is uh, we absolutely need to be competitive. Um, we need to be competitive in the marketplace. Um, having said that, I, I, I don't want to go to lowest common denominator and bring them in because I want people to understand the worth that they're getting in this product. Um, a lot of great engineering, a lot of great development went into the vehicle. You know, the kinds of materials that we're using, magnesium in a lot of places, aluminum, the high-strength steels, it's not inexpensive. Having said that, the experience that that vehicle delivers, I believe, is absolutely worth it. 
And so, you know, as a luxury goods and services purveyor, I believe I can command the price in the marketplace. Now, having said that, I do need to be competitive. But I, at a certain point, I, I, you know, I'm not going to chase beyond where it's worthwhile. Um, and having a great residual value positions us well for leasing. And so we do expect and we're planning for a higher percentage of leasing on ATS than, than the rest of the Cadillac lineup. And again, from a luxury consumer perspective, that's what many of them are accustomed to every 24 months or every 36 months, I, you know, I get a new vehicle. And, you know, we look at the long-term value. We don't just look at, um, you know, that particular purchase, but particularly for leasing, what's the long-term value of that consumer? And that's why customer experience and really doing a good job there comes into play as well, as opposed to just looking at it as a single transaction. What's the lifetime value potentially of that consumer to us as a business? And it's, it literally gets into the millions of dollars for some consumers. And so am I better off you know, sacrificing a little bit, depending on how you define sacrifice, to satisfy that consumer, to keep them happy, to have them in a place where they can't imagine not getting another Cadillac when they come back? I'd much rather make that sacrifice. Having said that, I want to make sure I don't, in, a, in essence, bribe them to begin the relationship. <laughs> well, you've said that the ATS is, is supremely important to get new people into the brand. Mm -hmm. What about another segment uh, within the Cadillac brand or another luxury segment, maybe small, compact SUVs? You look at BMW in the U.S., and the X3 is very popular and does a lot of mm -hmm. volume for them. Does Cadillac need a smaller uh, SUV? What you'll see us do is, is uh, I mentioned, you know, with, with ATS and XTS, we'll have about 85 to 90 percent. We intend to have coverage across everything. Um, you know, compact luxury crossovers or SUVs, if you will, are a segment that we're looking at. Um, again, I can't, I'm not in a position to say here's what we'll do by when, but it's definitely a place that makes sense for us to, to explore to figure out what the right entry is. Um, SRX does a great job for us right now, actually kind of bridging a little bit into how that segment's defined, particularly from a price position standpoint. Um, and it's really established our credibility in the crossover space. Um, but as we go forward, yeah, that's definitely an area that we need to look at. And how about that, the other end of the spectrum? Mm. Because you showed us a terrific concept car two years ago yes. called the CL, yes. a car that I say is of heroic proportions. And especially when you get outside of this country, but even here too, when you ask people, what do you think about Cadillac? Big is yeah. the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Big, bold designs and that. What can you tell us about where you need to be in terms of having a halo car, mm -hmm. uh, a flagship sedan that's as big, if not bigger, than anything else out there? Yeah. Uh, when, we, when we did CL, um, part of the exercise of doing CL was to, number one, explore kind of the form vocabulary and the design language as our cars and vehicles, let's say cars in this case, as our cars got bigger. You know, how do you express art and science on that larger canvas, right? Um, and I think, you know, based on the reaction that we've gotten, I think, you know, Clay and his, his design team did a really, really good job of kind of expressing that. Um, the other thing that we were doing with CL as well was, was, in a sense, trying to find out, do we still have permission if you will, to do a car like this. Permission on the part of the public. On the part of the public. Uh, is, is this within, within the, the space and time that we're in in terms of efficiency and responsibility, is a grand, you know, luxurious, broader, big scale vehicle? Does it still make sense for Cadillac? And, and, and in an era where you're going to have to, as a corporation, hit 54 and a half miles per gallon. Yes, yes. 
Although I guess they're delaying the implementation. Maybe they'll hold off and better start building this afternoon. From the response I saw to the CL concept card, I think you'd be, you'd be actually more in trouble if you didn't make something uh, like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We, we, it's kind of like a lawyer. Never ask a question that you don't want to know the answer yeah, to, exactly. right? Um, you know, we've been really gratified by the response that we've had. And uh, again, that's an area that we're definitely exploring. Um, you know, a larger Cadillac. Um, obviously, we've got XTS that kind of modernizes our definition within that space. But yeah, there's definitely room for something positioned even above XTS uh, in our showroom. Um, Can you call it anything other than ZTS, though? I mean, you've run out of letters at that end of the alphabet. <laughs> here's here's ZTS with zits. So you're not going to do that? No, we won't do that. I can guarantee you it won't be called that. We are going to stick with our alpha designations, though. And, you know, the letters, sometimes they'll be logical and they'll make sense. At other times, they'll just it'll just be something that sounds like it's appropriate, hmm. right? Um, so no, Aaron, it won't be called. No zits? It won't be called okay. ZTS. <laughs> what about China? China is supremely important, as we've talked about, just for GM and for the Cadillac brand growing. Um, how are you marketing Cadillac there? I was over there a few months ago mm -hmm. in, in a dealership and, and saw some, some models of the old presidential limos that Cadillac has made. The, the really interesting thing about China is, um, you know, we don't necessarily have the, um, the deficits in terms of the brand and kind of where we've been that, that we have here. You know, part of our, if I go back to, to what we were originally talking about earlier on, you know, part of our lack of relevance has just been uh, yeah, I respect the brand, but it, it's lost its meaning for me, you know, for various reasons, right? Um, within China, first of all, um, most of the buyers are brand new to luxury. Uh, most of them are in their, the average age is mid-30s as opposed to here, mid-50s. And so they're just forming their impressions of what is luxury and what does it mean. Um, and what Cadillac stands for in terms of kind of dreamed in America, um, more of the ideas, the values, the spirit of America, being derivative of nothing. When you see a Cadillac, you definitely know it's a Cadillac. And then this notion of kind of never leaving well enough alone, always pushing, always striving, always going forward. You know, they're embracing that. And so you, if you go in into uh, some of our dealerships in China, which, by the way, are flagship stores, uh, very, very beautiful places, in many of those stores they have um, areas or galleries that are set up to depict the presidential limousines um, and, and the presidents who rode in Cadillacs. And so they embrace what is really core to who we are as a brand. And so um, what we're doing there is really just kind of capitalizing on that. Um, in fact, we've had a, a campaign where we've leveraged Route 66. Um, and so the SRX, uh, we, there was, a, there was a, a campaign in China that featured a famous actress coming to the U.S., driving Route 66, and looking at all things Americana, and kind of carrying that back to China. And so this, this notion of, of freedom, um, of, of individuality to a certain point, right, um, really makes sense for them. It's kind of, the, the, the way we look at it from a marketing perspective is, you, you are definitely, um, you know, in this bubble of, of, you know, of harmony and part of the greater society. But the Cadillac buyers, unfortunately, there are more and more of them in China, are the ones that want to stretch the bubble just a bit. Not break outside, but stretch it just a bit. And so we're happy to be able to position ourselves to enable them to do that. Will we see more Cadillac Chinese-specific models like we did with the SLS? Uh, what we're going to do is actually, I think, bring more harmony, um, Aaron, to our, to our product offerings globally. 
Um, and so you may see vehicles that might debut in another uh, place in the world that will, will be offered here. But increasingly, again, as a luxury brand, we have to have that same face to, to all of our customers wherever they are. Now, having said that, there will be differences based on, based on region and geography and particular customer preferences, mm -hmm. interior treatments, specific options and features. Uh, but the basic design, um, the forms, and the products, um, increasingly, again, if you're going to kind of get that scale, then you need to have some degree of commonality there. We're down to the last couple of minutes here, Don, but I wanted to ask you about the electric car that you've got coming. Yes. Uh, it was shown as a concept car called the Converge. Again, a beautiful execution, mm -hmm. but electric car sales haven't gone where people thought they were going to go. What can you do differently with your electric? Well, the, the first thing is um, ELR, which is um, three letters. There you go, ELR. <laughs> uh, it will be, the way I've described it is, it's a phenomenally beautiful luxury coupe that happens to be electric. Um, and we should you know, explain for the audience, this is based on the Volt technology. Right. So it's not Extended pure range. electric. It's not, you're you're right. not limited to uh, a given amount of miles. You can put gas in the thing and go. Mm -hmm. but, it, but it can operate purely electrical, too. That's right. That's right. And so... Um, the way that we're looking at it is, first of all, it's, it's got to be a desirable vehicle just by looking at it. And then it's got to be desirable when you get inside the interior and you experience the, you know, the, the, the authentic materials and the premium nature with which it's been, it's been put together. Um, it's got to have a great feel when you drive it as well. And I look at it as just an added bonus that it happens to be an extended range electric vehicle. Because, again, particularly for luxury consumers, you know, Someone's not going to buy the ELR because they want to save on gas. I mean, let's be real, right? Uh, but they will look at ELR because it represents a responsible choice. It represents a choice from the company that has a conscience. And so that is kind of how we'll be looking at and positioning that car. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about its chances for success. And real quick, we're at the very end. When will we see it in showrooms? Uh, we'll, we'll be here within, uh, within a year and a half. It'll be, okay. it'll be in showrooms within a year and a half. Really good. Don Butler, Senior, uh, or Vice President of Marketing for Cadillac. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Great today. to be here. Great conversation. Thank you. Tim Higgins, great having you. Aaron Bragman, Thank you. great having you here too. And thanks for having tuned in and join us again next week for Autoline This Week.